and ask you that you give him wisdom. Father, that you would set watchmen on the wall of this nation, God. That you would set the church on the wall. Lord, I ask you for the church to wake up. Lord, we got everybody got all in a stir right after September 11th. But it seems like people have sort of fallen back in, into their normal thing, Lord. And we don't want to do that, Lord. And we're saying we need you to help us not do that. We're saying, Lord, we don't want to keep hitting the snooze button when the alarms go off. So God, help us not to hit that snooze button, but to, to arise. Lord, we just say, rise, sleep, arise from the dead and let Christ shine on you. Well, Lord, we say that to the church first, to the people of God in the United States, to arise, arise and let Christ shine on you. Let Christ shine on you. And we say that, Lord, to the world out there in this country, this nation, the people that don't know you, that they would awake, Lord, to the gospel. They would awake to the kingdom, God. And Christ would shine on this nation once again. And there would be a revival in this nation, Lord. We ask you for revival for the United States of America. We ask you that millions would be not killed in terrorist attacks, but millions would be saved, God, by the power of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to let the children go. They may have already gone, but we're going to let them go. And bless them, Lord, and help them back there. Bless the teachers. And whoever cell phone's going off, answer it. <laughs> um, if you look in your bulletin, we got a new missionary that we're spotlighting this uh, month. Uh, last month we did His Heart Missions. We're doing the ones that are in-house first so we can learn how to do it for the ones who are not in-house. But Christina, stand up. Christina Caspers, everybody give her a hand. Read, read what your bulletin says uh, about Christina and sort of an introduction, and then we're going to be sharing, having her all month, uh, and we want to really highlight how the Lord's using her, or, and you know, she'll be going back to China here before you know it. So we're blessed to have missionaries right out of our body. It really is, and there's going to be more, more of you that one day your name will be in there as the missionary of the month. So, if you have a calling towards missions, uh, if you, if, when God's timing comes, we will certainly try to help you. To, and we, we will at least spotlight you. And, and we may tell you we don't want to help you, but just kidding. Okay, everybody get your Bible out and turn to Acts 17. <clears throat> you know, one of the things the Lord really wants to do for people is God has given us a certain amount of authority in the earth and He wants us to use it. And, you know, He gave Moses that rod and, you know, Moses was sitting there crying out to the Lord when the Pharaoh's army was bearing down on him and he had the Red Sea there and and basically what God said to him was, why are you talking to me about it? It's basically what he said to him. It's like, I don't, you know, why are you praying right now? You've got authority to do something. And what we need to learn how to do and do it in a righteous way is use what God has given us. We need to learn how to do that. And see, the church is, is uh, either, we're, we're either one extreme. We're so over here so shy and timid about it, or we're over here so arrogant you know, and full of pride and full of presumption, um, that it hinders us. And I believe God is calling us, man, you've got to use what God's given you. 
You've got to use it. Now, just don't be using it on me unless it's something good. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what we tend to do is we tend to wind up abusing each other with things, and that's not God. So I want to encourage you really to go after the things that you feel like God's put in your life. Because I think God would say to you, like he says to Moses, why are you talking to me about this? I've already given you the power to do something about it. And you just do it. Now, that's a foreign thought to some of you, I know. And you got all these, yeah, buts, but I'm just going to say, yeah, but the Bible. That's, that's what I'm wanting to say to you. All right, we're going to talk about this morning, I want to talk about to you about the cross this morning, okay? And I think the Lord wants to wants to speak to us. I think He wants to impart something to us about the cross. So, you know, normally we do uh, communion the third Sunday of the month, and we just broke our tradition. Amen? Amen. In Acts 17, look down in verse 32. Paul was preaching in Athens. Okay? He got up there and started preaching a message to these guys. And listen to what it says. This is, I'm just getting to the end of his message. I'm not going to preach his whole message. It says, When they heard the re- of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul de- departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, there's a couple guys, and then there was this woman. And then there says some others with them. Okay, the point is this. If you go and study... Uh, in the book of Acts, when Paul preached, if you go and look at all his messages, this is the low point of his messages as far as results. Okay? Not many people were impacted by his message. Not many. Now, you, now some people got saved, and, and we need to rejoice whenever somebody gets saved. But for Paul, this was a bad day. This was a bad day, this message. Now, some commentators say, this, this is actually what some commentators say about this message. They say it is a model message. It's a model message for how to communicate the gospel to people who've never heard of God. But they will admit, yet even Paul's the results were not good. Okay? My personal opinion is not a model message. In fact, I believe Paul felt it wasn't a model message. Look at uh, 18 verse 1. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, you with me now? I've just told you some history. Now turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. Okay? Y'all with me? Don't be going to sleep on me this morning. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's really a hint right there. Okay, this is what Paul said he did when he got there. There's really a hint from Paul that what he did in Athens was not what he was going to do here. In other words, he went to Athens and he preached a a message that had a lot of human wisdom and a lot of human persuasive words in it. 
And he felt like because it had a lot of that in it, God really couldn't move. So when he got to Corinth, he says, when I got to Corinth, I decided I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm going to come and I'm going to preach a real basic message to you. That's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the power of God. Are you with me? Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read 1 through 4. Says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also receive and which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I love the way the New American Standard says that. It, where it says, first of all, um, it says, of first importance. Of first importance. Um, there's this thing in the Bible called the scarlet thread of redemption. Okay? That's, that's what they call it. It comes from Joshua chapter 2 when, you know, Israel was fixing to attack Jericho and destroy it. And this is this lady named Rahab who was a prostitute who helped some spies that went in there. And... She said to these guys when they're leaving, you know, when you guys attack this place, you know, make sure I'm taken care of. And they said, okay, we will do that if, number one, everybody has to get in the house and stay in the house. Number two, you've got to tie this scarlet thread to your window. And when we come, everybody that's in that house where that scarlet thread is will be saved. But if anybody goes outside that house, away from that where that scarlet thread is, you know, you know they take their life in their own hand. Well, if you begin to study the Bible and you can, you can start, and this is the truth, you can start at Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, you find that thread running all through the Bible, the scarlet thread of redemption. You find the cross all the way through the Bible. In fact, I'll tell you this, and this is a pretty, pretty bold statement, I think. You pull that thread out of the Bible, and I believe the Bible would implode on itself. I believe the Bible would collapse because it, none of it would make sense Apart from the cross. None of it makes sense. It would just be like the Koran or, or some of these other philosophies and theologies of man if you take the cross out of it. Sounds good, sounds wonderful, but without the cross, it's just a bunch of teachings that make no sense, that really have no substance to them. See, the, really, the cross really is the center of everything that God does. It's the center. It is the center and it's the central topic of the Bible. The, let me say that one more time. The cross is the central topic of the Bible. It is the central topic. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is the cross the central topic of our life? Is the cross at the center of our life? You hear what I'm saying to you? Because if you take the cross out of the Bible, you don't have a real holy Bible no more. You've got a, you got a mess, I believe. I've tried to sit there and, and take it out and start thinking about some of the things in the Bible, and they make no sense. They're illogical. Like, who wants that? Who wants that? In fact, Jesus said, it's in your bulletin, the Scripture, the cross was the very reason He came to the earth. He said, for this purpose, for, the, for this hour, I've come. I've come for the cross. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is a glorious event, where uh, Moses and Elijah appeared to Him, guess what they were talking about? 
they were talking about the cross. They were talking about His death. That's what He was wanting to talk to them about. He wasn't talking about who He healed or His ministry or the next campaign He was going to have or His disciples. He was talking about His death. I mean, think about it for a minute. Two people who lived and died and now they've shown up. Two dead guys that were powerful guys in history. Suddenly they're on this mountain and you're talking about dying. That's your subject you want to talk to them about. Don't you find that to be a little uh, ex- extreme? Would you want If Moses came walking in the door this morning, would you want to talk to him about the cross, honestly? Would you? Think about it a minute. I don't think that's a logical way of thinking. But that's what Jesus wanted to talk to them about. You know, Peter's over, yeah, let's build some booths. Let's hang around here. Let's get this move of God going. You know, let's get Moses and Elijah. We've got the move of God. We've got these guys, you know, the two most powerful guys in the Old Testament. We've got them back. And Jesus wants to sit around here and talk about dying. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. All right, listen to this. This is powerful. This is a powerful statistic. There's four, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's 86 chapters in those four Gospels. 26 of those chapters are devoted to the events in the last week of Jesus' life. That means this. Jesus lived approximately 12,000 days on this earth. One-third of the Gospels, one-third of the Gospels focus on the last seven days of Jesus' life. One-third of the Gospels focus on the last seven days of Jesus' life. How much time do we focus on that? Are we giving one-third of our life to focusing on the last seven days of Jesus' life? I don't think we do. I think we are into a lot of other stuff. Maybe somehow it's not quite good. Uh, turn back to 1 Corinthians 1. Are y'all with me? First Corinthians one, let's read eighteen. One eighteen. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Okay. Let me tell you something. There really is something about the cross that's sort of disturbing. Okay? As far as preaching the cross. When you think about how do you preach the cross, okay? It is really a kind of a foolish message if you think about it on a natural plane. I remember the first time I ever preached about the cross. It was the deadest, crummiest message that you could possibly preach. And this guy that the Lord placed in the church that I was preaching at who made it his mission in life to tell me how bad I was doing. (laughs) God was using him to shape my life. I never want to see that guy coming up after a message. He let me know in certain terms, how could you stand there and preach such a, on a wonderful subject it was, and it be so bad? That's what he said to me. How can you do that? And I was feeling bad about it, so I didn't preach on that message. In fact, when I began to think about all this, I thought, Lord God in heaven, we can talk a lot about the cross. We can tell information about the cross. We can read what happened physically to Jesus. We can talk about the dogs that when a person was crucified that could actually start eating on the body of those people that are hanging. We can talk about that the cross was meant to shame and humiliate the person to the ultimate degree and make them suffer more than anything else. It's not like our executions today. We can talk about all that stuff. You know, but you know what? The Bible talks about none of that. 
It doesn't tell you that. You know what it says? They crucified him. That's basically what the Bible says. They crucified him. It doesn't tell you about the horrors of the cross that a man would go through. They dug up people who were crucified. And what happened to them was absolutely hideous. The reason they would break their legs, is it was really a mercy thing to kill them. So they couldn't pull up anymore to breathe. Because every time you was hanging on the cross, you had to pull up to breathe. And they'd just have mercy on them. They'd crack, you know. This one guy they accidentally dug up, and they said his femur, you know, his big old bone out here, big, it was in splinters, the blow that was so hard to it, to kill this man. Well, see, you can talk about all that stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't really connect. It's information, and it's good information. I think we need to know that information. You can talk about I've read what doctors have said happened to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's awful, the things. You know, when they beat him, and then they throw that rub on, rug on, uh, that purple robe on him, the blood all dried. And it was like his, his body was a giant scab, and they, they just ripped it off of him. And the pain that he, had, he went through, it's incredible what the Lord went through. Incredible. Yet the Bible tells us none of that. There's one thing I was reading that said that uh, it's because the people in that day, it was a deterrent. You, if you bug the system, they would do that. They'd hang you up there, you know, naked and beat you half to death and leave you hanging there for however long it took you to die to keep everybody else from doing it. It was a hideous, hideous thing. So maybe the writers of the Bible didn't feel like it was, they had a need to tell people about it because they saw it. They saw the, the hideousness of the, of the cross. It wasn't like that little thing we wear on our neck. It was a hideous thing. It was a terrible thing. It was an awful thing. Well, this is, this is what the, it says. The message of the cross is foolishness. That word foolish, it, the Greek word is moros, which is the word we get moron for. The foolishness is not a good word there. They're saying the preaching of this message is moronic madness. How could a God do that to people? For people. How could a God love people that much that He was willing to die for them like that? The worst death He could die at that time. Probably the worst death He could die in history. That's what Paul was saying. This is madness is what I'm, I'm preaching. The cross, when you preach the cross, you, you preach a madness. You preach a moronic thing. It's like, you know, we could call a person a fool. That's bad. If you call them a moron, it's even worse. It's stupid. It's dull. It's ignorant. Those are some of the words that the Greek uses about this message of the cross. It is insanity. One guy said it, there's, a, there's a sense of obscenity in it. It's like an obscene thing this, that when you preach this message. It's obscene to the mind. It's obscene to the natural man. It's moronic madness. And I'm thinking... I'm not sure I want to be talking about this, Lord. <laughs> Just like that. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Are y'all with me? See, I believe this. I believe there's an impartation. Okay? In the cross. It may not be... That old message I preached back there when that guy said it was no good, I believe, even though I wasn't very anointed, evidently, when I preached that message, and it wasn't very good, but I believe there is inherent power in the message of the cross. And it may not please us, and we may walk away feeling like we didn't get anything deep, 
We didn't get some new revelation. Okay? But there's something that takes place on a spiritual plane, I'm convinced of. That we might not even be naturally be able to even be in touch with. But I believe when the message of the cross is truly preached by the unction of the Spirit, by the power of God, I believe there is something that happens to people. I believe there's an impartation into people. There's something that really does take place. More than just having a, oh, let's have an anointed message. Something to just stimulate us. And being stimulated is wonderful. You know? But there's, there's got to be some life imparted. You know, because the worst thing you have is a church that's all stimulated, but there's no life in that church. There's no life being released. There's no life. In fact, you know what? There was a guy in the Bible, and I'll tell you about this one of these days. His name was Onan. And you know what Onan did? He was having relationships with this lady named Tamar, and when it came time for certain things to happen, he withdrew himself. This is what the Scripture says. And spilled his seed on the ground. I'm not trying to be too graphic. It's all in the Bible. It's in Genesis. And you know what it says? God killed that man over that. And you know why He killed him? He killed him because God doesn't want us just to stimulate. God wants an impartation of life. That's what He's looking for. And because He did what He did, He couldn't impart life into that lady and, you know, and they could have babies and all that stuff. And God killed him! Gosh, we don't need just be all riled up and romped up and all that. And not that's good. You need that to be able to do the other, you know. But you got to get life imparted, and God wants to impart life to us through the message of the cross. Now, I want to have a stimulating message. I mean, you know, I want to be anointed. But if that's all we got, we're in trouble. We need some life imparted to us because we're not going to have any life to give if we don't have life put in us. Are you with me? So let's just get off this bandwagon of trying to get a high without having life imparted. Let's get a high, man. I'm I'm talking about a spiritual high. Let's get up there with the Lord and get blessed and, you know, whatever thing happens to you when that happens, do it. But you've got to go beyond that. This is what it says in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, you know that's the only ritual there is in the New Testament. That's the only ritual. That God gave us is the Lord's table. Okay? But He didn't give it to us as a ritual. But He was willing to take a chance because He knows how, how dumb we are, how messed up we get. We'll make things into rituals. Okay? But He gave it to us for a reason. He gave it to us because He wanted us to do two things. What did it say? It says to remember and to proclaim. And I think that remember... Is this, God does not want us to forget about His love for us. And I think it is in our natural mind, in our nat- man's natural heart, is that we would forget how much God really loves us and really does care about us. And God institute, and that's what communion's for. It's not all about it's all this other stuff that we make it into. God is wanting us to remember something. He won't remember it. Listen, this is how much I loved you. This is how much I care for you. 
is I was willing to die for you. This is madness that a God would do that. Remember that. Don't forget that. Don't ever get away from that. That's what it was saying. So when you take communion, you're remembering that the Lord loves you. You're remembering that the Lord cares about you. You're remembering that He wants to be close to you. That's what it's about. We've made it in some sort of religious thing, you know, where God is just saying, I just want you not to forget this one real important fact. I love you. I care about you. I want to hang around with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be with you at work. I want to be with you when you're at the ball game. I, want, I just want to do that because I really, no, I like hanging around you difficult rascals. You know? And I believe the Lord wants to release to people the revelation of that. And I believe through the preaching of the cross, I believe through partaking of this, we can have something spiritual happen in our life where God really imparts something to us and reminds us that He's not some hypocritical, hard-nosed God. That He really does love us. That He really cares about us. Otherwise, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to become hypocritical and cranky and hard to get along with because you've gotten away from the love of God. And that's what happens to Christians. That's why people get religious. It's because they've gotten away from love. They've gotten away from who God is and how God feels. So they get to be old hardhead things and get difficult and, you know, and run over everybody. That's the truth. You want to cure your religious heart, you get back to the love of God. It'll wash that stuff right off in you. And the other thing he said was proclaim his death till he returns. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Are y'all with me? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. I had this experience when I was a young guy. I heard this very godly man, and this is what he was saying. He was saying, well, you know something? If none of the stuff was really true... Okay, if it wasn't, none of it was really true, then the Christian life is definitely the best way you should live your life anyway. I heard, and I thought, that is garbage. And I didn't even know about what the Bible said. I thought, it is not the best way. If this ain't true, this is messed up. That, that's, that's what I thought. I didn't say to him, because he would have probably slapped my face for saying something like, back in my day, if you talked back, you got slapped. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I'm saying, that ain't, I don't believe that's the truth. I don't believe it's the truth today. That the Christian life, the way we, the morals and all that stuff that Christians have is the best way to lead your life if there is no, if the, if the Bible's not true about Jesus. It's not true. That is a lie. If what God said is not true, then this is all bad. Let's toss it all. It's all a lie. Who wants it? And then I found out that I was exactly right by chance. <laughs> this is what Paul said in verse 12. So now if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up. In fact, the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. This is, you know, pretty, you know, risen, rise, rose, you know. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. That's what he said. This is all futility. You know, you are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If in this life only. Now here's the thing. 
That's why Jesus said, you've got to do two things. You've got to remember, I died for you. But that was the worst day of the disciples' life, was the day Jesus died. That was the worst day of their life. Can you imagine how hopeless they felt? They had put everything in this man. All that he said, and now he comes up and dies on them. Oh, I loved you so much. I cared so much for you. I'm going to die. Well, what we do, Lord? You know? But you're dead now. What good is that going to do me? I don't need a dead God. Do you need a dead God? Oh, Becky, I love you so much, I'm going to go die for you. I don't know how you're going to eat next week. I don't know who's going to take care of you. I don't know who's going to be there for you when you're lonely and you're hurting. But I do love you, so I'm just going to die for you. Just to show you how much I love you. That is no God. You hear what I'm saying to you? That is no God. If our God just died for us, we don't have much of a God. Now, that's the truth. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's why Jesus said, remember, I did die for you. And I really do love you, but there's something else. And something else is this. Is there's this power of God. It's called the resurrection. Not only do we proclaim His death until He what? Comes. Meaning, you know, the dead guy is still alive. You know, he came back from the dead. He's alive. He's a living God. So the cross demonstrates His love. That's what it does. It demonstrates God's love for us. But the resurrection releases God's power to us. It releases His power to us. And see, I think, if you remember back in the message that Paul was giving to Athens, he talked to them about the resurrection of the dead. And they were saying, that's crazy. But he didn't talk to them about that first part. He didn't talk to them about a Savior that really cared and loved for them. You know what I'm saying? He didn't tell them the whole truth. He didn't give them the full gospel message. And see, I think a lot of times we are really going, let's preach the love of God. And that needs to be preached. But we need to preach the power of God. We need to preach, well, oh, He really did love us. He really did die for us. But He's still alive. He's still loving us. He's still there for us. He still wants to reach out to us. That's the, that's the real gospel. It's not this well, he died. That was great. Before God so loved me, he died. That's wonderful. We've got to have the power of God. This is what he said in verse 18. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but those, those who are being saved, it is the power of God.